Today's scripture reading um, comes from Mark, chapter 6, verses 32 to 56. Um, This passage can be found on page 712 of some of your pew Bibles. Again, that's Mark, chapter 6, starting at verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was and wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Natalie. Natalie. Morning, everyone. It's good to have you with us this morning. So as we um, continue on in our series of Mark, as you just heard in the scripture reading, we're focusing this morning on two very very familiar stories about Jesus. 
I think whether you've been attending church uh, for a long time or uh, you know, or, or not, you, you've probably heard of this, these stories even if you've just been exposed to Western culture for a period of time. Um, you know, the, the, the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water you know, are so familiar that they've been um, you know, the, the theme for numerous cartoon strips, uh, the theme for a lot of jokes, which I will refrain from telling you <laughs> this morning. Um, but I will share with you one interesting trivia question, um, which is this. There's only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels, that is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the first miracle, or one of the miracles, is the feeding of the 5,000. Do, do you know what the second miracle is? Any ideas? Walking on water? No? That's it. His resurrection. I don't know if you would put it in this category, but Jesus' resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000 are the only miracles of Jesus that are recorded in all four Gospels. So if this is one of the two that we're looking at today, obviously it must be very significant. And so even though our passage you know, is very familiar, I hope this morning to give you some insights that maybe you're not uh, so familiar with. Uh, these verses have some references back to the Old Testament, uh, which I think are very important for us to see to fully understand this passage in the way that the, uh, his Jesus audience back then would understand it. Now, last week, if you were here, Pastor Jeff uh, spoke uh, on his message, or focused his message on the commission of, the opposition towards, and the provision related to the disciples. And Jesus is going to reinforce those themes as we look at these two miracles. As we've seen in uh, recent uh, sermons, you know, Jesus, he's going around doing ministry. He, he continues to have, you know, you could say like rock star status. You know, as we, as we saw, swarms of crowds just continue to besiege him and his disciples. You know, if you have your Bible still open to the passage, if you look at the verse uh, right before, it says in verse 31 that so many people were coming to be around Jesus that he, he and his disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. So Jesus wisely tells the disciples, you know, we need to get away. We need to get some rest. We need to get some refreshment. But their plans failed miserably, as, as we heard, because in verse 33, we read that the crowds somehow were able to predict where the disciples and Jesus were going to go to rest. And they beat them. They, they beat the boat. They ran ahead on land and could beat the boat to um, the destination. And so here Jesus is and his disciples, you know, arriving by boat to this area which they hoped they would get away and, um, you know, get some R&R. &R. But they see tons of crowds. And what are they going to do? You know, Jesus certainly could have been justified in telling the crowds, you know, you know, really, guys, we need a break. You know, we've, we've been ministering to you all day. It's been a long day. We haven't eaten. We need to get some rest. You know, just, just please give us some downtime. And I think he would have been justified in doing that. So, you know, this, I don't think this, um, this miracle, this passage here is supposed to, you know, uh, be justification for why those in full-time ministries don't need days off or things like that. I, you know, I think Jesus wisely, at the beginning of the of the passage says, you know, let's get away and get some rest because he knew his disciples needed to have some rest and refreshment. But even though they did, once again, 
The crowds follow him, and Jesus does not turn them away. And I think the reason that he turned them away is because we see in this passage the heart of Jesus, the heart of Jesus towards people, which we find in verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw this large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is one of those that is used many times in the Old Testament. A couple of examples, in Numbers 27, when it was time for Moses to give up leadership and pass on the baton to Joshua, Moses asked the Lord to appoint someone over the people, and this is, these are his words as translated, so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, God rebukes the leaders of Israel who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel because they were only caring about themselves and not caring for the people. And he describes them, he describes the people as scattered like sheep with no shepherd to care for them. Because I think many of you know sheep can't protect themselves. They don't know where safe places are. They can't clean themselves. If a sheep falls over because of the way they're shaped and because of their short little legs, they can't pick themselves up. They need someone to actually, you know, help them get up. You know, this was the picture of the Israelites back then. And his audience back then would have been able to understand, you know, this reference more so than we do because it was an agrarian society and they were, you know, very familiar with sheep. And though there were religious leaders, they weren't doing their jobs, much like the people were the leaders in Ezekiel's time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer comments on this in one of his books by writing, during that time there were questions but no answers, distress but no relief, anguish of conscience but no deliverance, scars but no consolation, sin but no forgiveness. What is the use of scribes, devotees of the law, preachers and the rest when there are no shepherds for the flock? Jesus saw the people, and he saw that they were in this condition. And so he would not send them away. He could not, because this was his heart. And through his example, I believe he wanted his, his disciples to develop the same type of heart that he had towards the crowds. One that seeks the loss and would sacrifice its own, one's own comfort to show them the way to find safety and care. You know, when you think about those in your circles who are lost, you know, is it easy to see them as sheep without a shepherd? I would say for myself, you know, for some of them, yeah, it, it's very easy to see them that way. But for others, it, it's actually, I find it actually much more difficult because to me, they, they just seem like so lost. And, it's, and that it's going to be too hard to reach. You know, but I need to be reminded that Jesus does not see them that way. You know, Jesus here sees the shepherdless sheep, and our passage says he begins to teach them. We aren't given specific what he teaches, but it's safe, safe to say you know, that he teaches them things that would feed them, that would cleanse them, that would help guide them to eternal safety. You know, he wanted his disciples to witness all this so that they would develop the heart of Jesus.
And as we'll see next, he wanted them to also do more. It was getting late in the day and the disciples still hadn't gotten any rest. You know, maybe they did have a small meal while they were on the boat, you know, rowing to this destination, but, you know, this small meal probably wouldn't have satisfied them, um, you know, especially after spending another long period of ministering. So they tell Jesus, you know, send the crowds away so that they could go into the villages to buy something to eat. Maybe secretly they were hoping in doing so Jesus would do this and they would get, you know, the downtime with Jesus, the, the R&R that they needed. But Jesus had other plans. You know, in the account of this miracle in John's gospel, John adds that when Jesus was, you know, when the disciples were telling him this, Jesus asked Philip a question to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Instead of sending the crowds away to get food, as we saw in the scripture, he tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. And what he wants to enforce to the disciples is their commission, like we looked at last week, to do ministry, what I call the hands of the disciples. Now Jesus could have said something, you know, to the disciples like, watch and see what I can do, or don't worry, I will give them something to eat. But he intentionally says, no, you give them something to eat so that they might understand that he was part of his plans to address the needs for, of the crowds. You know, but where would they get the money to pay for the food? And what store, you know, would even have enough food to feed, you know, 10,000 plus people? You know, they can't comprehend how this massive crowd could be fed. But as one commentator put it, you know, when Jesus sees, or when the disciples see impossibilities, Jesus sees possibilities. Because God can multiply even the smallest gifts that are made available to him. And we know what happens next. The disciples are able to find a boy who has five loaves and two fish. And after Jesus had taken the food to bless it, he hands it back to the disciples to, to disperse to the crowds. And they kept giving and giving and giving to the crowds until it says everyone was satisfied. And there were even leftovers. How many leftovers? Twelve basketfuls. And why? Because I think Jesus wanted each of the disciples to have kind of like a doggy bag as a reminder of what just happened. Not just as a meal, you know, to be eaten later on their journey, but as a reminder of the miraculous empowerment that Jesus had just uh, given them to be able to feed the crowds. You know, I think at times, you know, we see the needs of this world and long for God to correct it, but we forget sometimes the role that he plays in calling, up, in calling us to address them. I don't know if you're familiar, but I was reminded of that song, uh, Do Something by Matthew West. I don't know, if, like I said, I don't know if you've heard it before, but, you know, West is lamenting about, you know, how all there's ills, you know, all the troubles and ills that he sees in this world. And then he cries out to God in the song, God, why don't you do something? And God responds back, I did. You know, I created you. But even if we recognize, you know, this commission, you know, we feel often that we are so in insignificant and powerless. You know, we feel so small and like the disciples lack the faith that God will empower us 
to do what he calls us to. But through this miracle, we see that Jesus makes the possible out of the impossible. And to further encourage us, Jesus teaches us more through his next miracle. So the crowds just, you know, had their fill, and it says in verse 45 that after, you know, they had eaten, Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. So why would he do this? You know, they, they just had a meal. You know, maybe everyone could kind of relax. And, you know, maybe for the disciples, they could just bask kind of in the glory that they had just fed, you know, 10,000 plus people. But no, Jesus makes them get into the boat immediately, it says, and leave. Well, John's account gives insight as to why Jesus would do this. In John 6, 14 to 15, it says, After the crowds have eaten, they begin telling each other this. Surely the prophet who is, this is surely the prophet who is to come into the world. And they wanted to make him king by force. So think about it. You know, for the people who've been following Jesus around, you know, they look at Jesus and they see the ultimate welfare state. You know, Jesus could give them free food when he wanted to, whenever he wanted to. When they got sick, he could heal them. When they died, he could even raise them from the dead. You know, this was awesome to them. And so they wanted to make Jesus king. But this wasn't Jesus' purpose in coming. And he didn't want the disciples to get caught up in the euphoria that, the, you know, like the crowds were doing and say, yeah, you know, let's just make him king and start a rebellion. So Jesus wisely, hurriedly said, get in the boat and go. And so they got in the boat and they went, you know, went off into the sea. The disciples were out in the lake, and Scripture tells us that a fierce wind opposed them. You know, this wasn't a major storm like I talked about a few weeks ago, you know, in, in Mark 4, where it was like this mega hurricane. You know, here it just says that there were fierce winds that opposed the boat, and it kind of blew them off course. Verse 40 says that Jesus went around during the fourth watch of the night, which would be between 3 to 6 a.m., Matthew's account of the miracle says it was about dawn when Jesus went out to the boat. So if you think about it, if Jesus hurried the disciples out after the meal, which was you know, probably right before it got dark, maybe around you know, 7 or 8 p.m., and now it's around 5 a.m., you know, they may have been straining, the disciples were in the boat, maybe straining, you know, trying to row for about eight, nine hours. So they were exhausted, you know, they were dejected. And so Jesus, after a time of solitude and prayer, comes out to the boat, walking on the water. And at the end of verse 48, we find an interesting phrase. It says, he was about to pass by them. And we read that and we're like, you know, that's kind of weird that Jesus would pass by them. You know, what does it mean? Like he was walking on water and he sees the bunnies, you know, he's passing by like, hi guys. Or he sees them like straining with the oar and he's like, oh, you know, good to see you guys. See you later. This phrase, pass by, is an interesting term because it also references back to the Old Testament. What this phrase is, is used in context with God, uh, and used in context with God is defined as this. 
It is an act, a divine act of reassuring self-disclosure that meets God's people at their point of greatest desperation. Let me show this to you. So the, the point of the miracle is to show the help of God and Jesus. And passed by, as I read, is once again a divine act of reassuring self-disclosure that meets God's people at their point of greatest desperation. So let me share with you two Old Testament examples of this. In Exodus 33, Moses asked to see God's glory, and God answers mostly in the affirmative. He tells Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord says, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So God allows Moses to see his glory as it passes by. But what led Moses to even ask to see God's glory? Well, right before this incident, the people rebelled against God, if you remember, by building the golden calf and worshiping the calf rather than God. And God gets so angry that, you know, Moses is still up on the mountain, uh, you know, conversing with God. But, and God tells Moses what the people down, you know, down below the mountain had done. And he says, you know, they're worshiping this idol. They've angered me. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses pleads to the Lord to not destroy them, but to forgive them. And God relents, but punishes some of, some of those in the, you know, some of the Israelites. And he tells Moses to lead people into the promised land, but he adds that he could not accompany them, or else he might have to destroy the people because they are such sinners. Moses, greatly discouraged, tells God that though he's been telling Moses to lead these people, he has not sent anyone with him to help them. And so he asked for God's presence to be with him. And it was at this point when Moses is like, who's going to help me? Who's going to, to, to walk with me to lead these people? That he allows, that he asks God to reveal his glory to him. And God says, you can see my glory pass by you. Second example, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. In 1 Kings 19, verse 11, Elijah receives instruction from the Lord. And God tells him to go stand on a mountain, for he says the Lord is about to pass by. What prompted this? Well, in the previous chapter, Elijah just experienced this great victory in Mount Carmel by defeating the Baal prophets. Uh, you know, many of you are probably familiar with this, you know, this story where Baal, uh, Elijah challenges the 400 Baal prophets to a challenge. You know, they, they both put sacrifices before their gods and whoever would, you know, uh, whichever god would set the sacrifice on fire would be the one that's truly God. And as those of you familiar with the story, you know, the Baal prophets did everything, but they couldn't get... They couldn't get Baal to, to light their sacrifice on fire. 
But Elijah, you know, just prays this prayer and, and fire comes down and, and consumes his sacrifice. And so Elijah emerges victorious and the Baal prophets were put to the sword. But Queen Jezebel gets word of what just happened and she's furious. And she sends a messenger to tell Elijah that she's going to do everything in her power to make sure she, he did, make sure he gets killed. So Elijah flees for his life and prays that God would even take it so that he wouldn't have to run for his life anymore. And it was at that point that God told Elijah, go on the mountain because I'm going to pass by you. And so in both Exodus and 1 Kings, God passed by to meet Moses and Elijah at their point of need. And this is what's happening in Mark. Jesus is not going to pass by the disciples to go like, you know, see ya, or, you know, sorry to see you're in trouble. But rather, he's going to help them. He's going to reassure them of his presence and care for them. But the disciples initially don't get it. You know, they cower in fear at the sight of Jesus. Even when Jesus steps in the boat and the winds die down like it did in the previous storm, they still didn't get it because, as Mark tells us, they didn't even understand the gist of the miracle of, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Know. And so the irony of this story is that when the boat lands on shore, it says the crowds immediately recognize who he is and come to Jesus knowing who he is and his power to heal. And the disciples here, in this instance, totally missed it. But though, you know, the disciples may not have been the smartest people in the room, Jesus does care for his own. He wants them to see that help is at hand, even during their times of greatest desperation. Jesus sees their distress and comes to them during the wee hours of the night when they are having trouble in the deepest part of the lake. Moses and Elijah cannot directly see God. Here the disciples see Jesus in the flesh. And in him is the Savior who brings calm and deliverance. And what he wants, I think, through this parable, what Jesus did back then, he wants us to see is true back now. You know, in our spiritual journey, maybe it seems sometimes fierce winds oppose us and no progress is being made. Maybe we wonder why we left the safety of the shore to begin with and we long to go back. But though we may not physically be able to see Jesus now, like the 12 disciples did, Jesus, through this account, wants us to know that he is present and he cares for his people. He doesn't necessarily remove all the obstacles. As one commentator wrote about the miracle, Jesus did not rescue the disciples out of the sea, but he did enable them to continue the voyage. And so sometimes it's the same for us. He doesn't remove every problem that we face, but he enables us to carry on in the journey. Whoever he chooses to work, know that he does care and he will be present to meet us in the way that he knows best. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of need. As Jesus commissioned the disciples back then and assured them of his presence with them and empowerment to be able to do 
what he called them to do, so it is today. Mark's account of this incident doesn't contain it, but in Matthew's account, when the disciples see Jesus walking on water, Peter tells Jesus, let me come out and walk with you. Many of you are familiar you know, with what happens next as Peter kind of struggles but then walks on the water with Jesus. And afterwards it says in Matthew that when Jesus and Peter get back into the boat, the disciples were amazed and worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. So the disciples didn't get it initially with the feeding of the 5,000 and with Jesus walking on water. But in the end, they understood and so we may, you know, do these stories, may we do what Jesus is teaching us, develop a heart for the sheep without a shepherd, and do what he entrusts us with to help reach those who are lost, those who are needy. May we be willing to take risks knowing that God will empower us to do what he calls us to do, and that his ever-present help will always be with us. Afterwards, we will be amazed as we experience God work through us. And like the disciples, we will worship him for his goodness in choosing to use us. I pray that all of you would have this type of experience so that you will praise God for the ways that he's worked through you and that you will see the miracles that he performs when you feel so powerless to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the almighty God. Jesus, we thank you that you too are almighty God. And we see this through these miracles today. Father, through these miracles, may we be encouraged to develop a heart that you have for the lost. Jesus, may we recognize your care for us and praise you, Lord, for being our Savior, for the one that teaches us and guides us and leads us to eternal safety. And Lord, may we in turn seek to be more like Jesus in reaching out to the needy, having a heart for the lost, and know that we are empowered to do whatever it is that you entrust us with. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.